rate policy coming forward as well, just given all of the hits that we've seen recently with the real estate market and some other things. And so I think it's going to be an interesting time over the next quarter or two for, for the consumer. It's, it's really the worst time, isn't it, for all this to be? It's all happening at once. We've got an energy crisis, the Evergrande crisis, the regulatory crackdown. The economy is starting to buckle under this pressure. Yeah, I think we have. A, I think we just lost Ben mid mid sentence there. But sadly, we've run out of time anyway. So many thanks to Ben Cavender, principal at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Uh, in the markets in Australia, the SX two hundred is up one and a half percent. The Nikkei two two five in Japan is losing some of its gains now, up just about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like we're going to see a fall of about fifty or sixty points for the Hang Seng at the open. South Korean markets are closed for public holiday, but in the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is slipping. It's at $79.03 a barrel. Uh, Gold is rising this morning at $1,764 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse in just a moment. The weather forecast for today. Sunny periods. The maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Sunny periods in the next couple of days. And then the weather will become unsettled in the latter part of this week. The temperature right now is 28 degrees, 78, 76% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. A political commentator says he expects Chief Executive Carrie Lamb to focus on the development of new towns in her upcoming policy address on Wednesday. It'll be the final address of her five-year term. Land and housing is expected to feature prominently following Beijing's edict that Hong Kong needs to do something about its housing shortage. But Professor Holot Sang, director of the Pan Sutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute of Lingnan University, also said he wanted to see more support for carers. There have been many tragedies for people caring for fragile elderly and so on, you know, sometimes handicapped uh, children. And I think that's something that they have to address. And the, the staff ratio, especially for the private elderly homes, is extremely low in some cases, you know. It's 1 over 40, and it's a standard. And I think sometimes even that standard is not even reached. So I think that is definitely a priority that the government should address. But whether it's going to address it, that's something that I would like to see. It's being reported that the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai will announce today that China isn't complying with the so-called Phase 1 trade deal reached under the former Trump administrations. Uh, RTHK's U.S. economics correspondent Barry Wood said the news is a big deal, but it's unlikely Washington will take any immediate retaliatory action. Catherine Tay, who is the trade representative and a Mandarin speaker, she is going to outline a new United States policy towards China. It's been awkward for the Democrats because they're tied to the Donald Trump policies. There hasn't really been any change. So they want to have something new. But this phase one trade deal, which was reached under President Trump January 2020, the Democrats, Catherine Tay, is now going to say, hold it, the Chinese are not complying with this. You were going to buy $200 billion more of United States products by the end of this year. You haven't done so. You're only 60% there. So this is a continuation of the trade war, and it's a get-tough policy from the Biden administration towards China. 
The United States has urged China to stop what it called provocative military activities near Taiwan after China sent close to 100 military aircraft over a three-day period near the island. The U.S. said the military flybys were an incursion which was destabilizing and undermined regional peace and stability. China has yet to comment on the activities, although Friday was National Day, to mark the founding of the People's Republic of China. In previous statements, Foreign Minister Wang Yi said that before it's a basic fact that Taiwan is part of China and that it has never changed. In comments in July, he urged the US to act prudently and honour its commitment on issues relating to Taiwan, adding that China has the right to take necessary measures to stop provocation from Taiwan independence forces. And there'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're talking about the perennial and pressing topic of land supply. Political parties are calling on the administration to accelerate the supply of land, particularly in the new territories for housing and business development. Ahead of uh, Chief Executive Carrie Lam's policy address on Wednesday, they're suggesting relaxing rules for indigenous villagers to sell their ancestral plots and also more development on the edges of wetlands. The DAB party is suggesting that 400,000 homes can be built in the northern New Territories. Meanwhile, the Development Secretary, Michael Wong, has said the government expects the number of private flats generated in the first three quarters of the current financial year to exceed its full-year target. Let us know your thoughts. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 and And joining us this morning... We have in our Admiralty studio uh, Ryan Yip, uh, Head of Land and Housing Research at the R Hong Kong Foundation, and Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, also uh, on the line, we should have uh, Professor Ng Mi Kam, uh, Director of the Urban Studies Programme at the Chinese University. Um, Ryan Yip, uh, perhaps we can start with you. Um, so uh, the Northern New Territories, uh, should that be our focus? That's where we should be looking for uh, the, most of the major development of housing going forward? Well, that sounds to be a logical uh, proposition. You know, uh, let me throw out some figures. Um, you know, the NT and the New Territories actually accounts for 90% of Hong Kong's land area, but it, all, but it only houses... 50% of the populations. So looking at that, it's, uh, it's very logical that uh, there's a high potential of putting more residential and more you know, commercial development uh, in the new territories. Of course, the terrain is hilly, uh, and most of the park is covered by country parks, but uh, we still have a fair share of flatlands that is underutilized. You know, the brown fields, the, 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 the farmlands, you know, the green belts, uh, the V-songs. So uh, can the government actually, you know, consolidate all these lands and uh, develop in a more comprehensive manner? Uh, in other words, can we build more new towns, you know, uh, uh, particularly in the new uh, northern uh, new territories? Um, to this end, we have previously identified nine potential development areas, so-called, uh, in the new territories. Uh, uh, they, they, 
they have a combined areas of 3,000 hectares, and that is on top of what is already planted by the governments, you know, on top of the Hong Sui Kiu, on top of the uh, Kutong North, etc. And we are talking about a uh, massive uh, scale of urbanizations in the new territories. And But to achieve that, uh, there are a few challenges that the government has to overcome. One is it has to speed up all the transport and other infrastructures to, you know, uh, uh, release the development potential of land in the new territories. Secondly, it has to uh, uphold uh, the interest of different stakeholders, including landowners and also uh, the land users uh, by you know, leveraging on market forces and more importantly, uh, having more specified and targeted uh, you know, compensation and relocation measures to each of the groups. And lastly, uh, is to cut the red tape uh, to improve administrative efficiency, you know, to, to speed up the development of lands. Uh, Ryan, I've read some of your reports before. You're really an expert on this subject, especially land in the new territories. Why, why are we still playing this idea of making it easier for villagers to sell their ancestral land? If we need it for a public purpose, why don't we just resume it? Well, I think um, um, this answers uh, these questions can be answered in two ways one is um, we are not only short of uh, public housings we are also short of private housings uh, well you know you know the, the housing prices is still high and you know not all of the people in Hong Kong are eligible for public housing so of course uh, on one hand we should uh, resume the lands if appropriate for public housing purposes but uh, on the other hand we should also you know you know untie uh, the ancestral lands such that it is easier for them uh, to be sold for private housing development purpose so I think these two can be uh, done together they are not you know mutually exclusive but uh, building a new town which we stopped doing what 20 odd years ago Building a new town is a public purpose, and yeah. a new town includes both private and public housing. Yes, uh, we we all we always advocate for new town developments because we think uh, a comprehensive development approach is uh, best uh, for Hong Kong. We, as you said, we have been we have been we have been we have been we have built nine new towns in the past thirty years, but we have stopped uh, since. Ever since the last new town was built, Dongchong uh, uh, was built in, in the 90s, and the government has started doing it again, but it takes you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, the Hong Shui Kiu is not going to, com not going to be completed uh, fully uh, until 2038. So, uh, yes, we, we believe uh, we should continue building new town, we should cut all the red tape so that uh, its uh, progress will be faster. But at the same time, we also th thought that uh, maybe maybe there is a role that the market can play. You know, uh, we should also leverage on, uh, on, on the market forces so that uh, we have uh, multiple uh, policies uh, in, inside the government's toolbox. Because currently we have only one policy, you know, which is the land resumption ordinance. Well, it is a very useful and very powerful policies, but we just thought that, well, it, it, it would be good you know, if we can have more policies in the government's toolbox such that they can pick and use.
Uh, Vera Yoon, uh, good morning to you. Um, much of the talk lately has been on the need uh, to uh, reduce uh, the uh, need for people to live in subdivided flats, which of course would mean building more public housing. Um, would you expect in the Chief Executive's policy address on Wednesday that there will be more of a focus on public housing and uh, re reducing waiting time, which is currently around about six years, I think, back down to three years or something like that? Well, I cannot think of um, any viable radical move that can reduce um, the waiting time um, like in a short while. I mean, it takes time to build more public housing and to explain the supply. So um, it will be more, um, I think, suggestion and show determination that the government want to resolve the housing problem in the medium term so there will be uh, I mean there are um, suggestions of um, lowering uh, the compulsory beating threshold for um, urban old urban buildings <laughs> yeah and and also um, ancestral lands and then if you remember last year uh, she emphasized um, tomorrow land how but uh, this year we didn't really hear about, about this. So I think the whole thing about the agenda setting of um, land and housing policy is uh, pretty politically driven. You can see those senior government officials, we we saw like four of them visiting subdivided unit and some of them were clearly um, warming up for running the chief executive election. So because um, the chairman or, or uh, the head of the Hong Kong and Macau office said, you know, subdivided units have to be, you know, eliminated. That was very interesting, Vera, wasn't it? Because the head of the liaison office here visited a subdivided unit and almost within hours, four ministers were out there. No, me too, me too. I want to visit a subdivided unit. That, but we've been talking about this for as long as I can remember. Right back in uh, Tong Chi Wah's time, 85,000 units a year was, was the big slogan, wasn't it? <laughs> and one by one, the chief executives have turned up and said, I'm going to, I'm going to solve this problem. Why is it so intractable? Well, as you heard from Ryan, you know, nothing really like in substantial scale has been done since the 1997 because of the Asian financial crisis and the 85,000, you know, program has been, you know, they, it, it vanished it anyway. So and then each chief executive, they wanted to do something, but they will refrain from doing something. Uh, um, I think that um, was because of the experience of Tong that he has to resign earlier than his term finish, and that because he, people think that and blame it to him that the whole uh, the housing price crash was due to him, but um, well, you can see that it's because a large part of it is because of Asian financial crisis plus SARS, not just because of the 85,000. So each chief executive politically, in order to be saved, they didn't want to like uh, and destabilize the housing market. They would just let it you know, rise, at which they didn't really have a um, pressure to um, really deal with it. They can just you know, show the determination to do it without really doing something. And, you know, the five-year term uh, w have ended and then there will be another chief executive and then they do it 
you know, um, from the beginning again. So, so it's politics. Yeah. I mean, it's actually safer to let the housing price rise steadily upwards rather than to crash it. Because the middle class has its savings in private property. And I think it's due to how um, the welfare policy is linked with assets. Because Hong Kong didn't really have large redistribution program done by the government. So a lot of them, um, well, from the middle class onwards, they rely on a property that they have finished the mortgage and then they could um, liquidate it when they were in retirement to finance their retirement life. And if you shake that, you actually also shake the retirement protection of Hong Kong, which, you know, relies on private property. Okay, uh, we also have uh, with us on the line uh, Professor Ng Mi Kam from the Chinese University. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. So um, we're talking uh, about a focus on the Northern New Territories near the border for development. Uh, is, is that what you would expect to see? Well, okay. Uh, before I say that, I think I want to uh, respond to Ryan's figures. Uh, when he said that half of the population are living in the New Territories, actually, um, it's basically in the New Towns, and most of them are built along the coast on reclaimed land. Uh, the the density there is about 20,000 per square kilometers. But rural new territories, even if we uh, take out the country park, is about only 2,000 per square kilometer. So we're talking about a density regime, you know, in that kind of landscape. So it's quite obvious that, uh, you know, we need to really carefully rethink about uh, new territories development. And not just uh, new territories, no. I would say the whole new territories. And I think as a planner, I mean, my nightmare would be like this blind, uh, rapid urbanization of this piece of land. Uh, it has a lot of potential, it's true. But I think as a planner, I think we need to really understand very carefully the culture, the heritage, whether it's uh, natural heritage or cultural heritage in that vast piece of land. And we do need a lot of place-based knowledge in order to really plan properly the territory in such a way that we can afford to have higher density development in such a spot, but then leave that place in such a way that we can offer Hong Kongers alternative lifestyle, you know, living, uh, where they can actually live and also work and also have spaces for, um, you know, economic development that fits the 21st century. So I'm a little bit worried that uh, in the euphoria of discovering or rediscovering the new territories that we are ruining it. So I think we do need very good planning. And once we have good planning, then we don't need to worry about whether we should uh, relax or the government should relax, uh, you know, um, the selling of the Chou Tong land, you know, because actually, if you read the New Territories Ordinance, uh, it, it, it doesn't really specify the percentage. It's, it's totally an administrative measure that the government can change overnight, actually, without uh, any anyone's consent. So, so I think that the whole idea is that it's very important to really do planning properly and, and not just to, you know, uh, build concrete forests in the New Territories. That would not help, uh, you know, Hong Kongers in the coming century. Uh, I think we do need this long-term planning that we are using cutting-edge planning knowledge of the 21st century uh, in planning this area. It's, it's, it's our last frontier, so to speak, 
within the city, and we need to really, you know, take very good care of this land because now we understand that, you know, when this is really developed, it's going to be finite. Unless, you know, we want to destroy uh, the ocean and, 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 and the marine spaces and, and do more reclamation. Right. Ryan, something that uh, Professor Ng said there is a reference to quality and size. Are we getting the size of our apartments right? They seem to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. People producing flats for sale of just over 200 square feet, the size of a parking space. Is it time for us to have a minimum size in order to ensure quality of life? Right. Right. Yeah, sure. I think, uh, we, yes, we are having a uh, very smaller size units. Uh, the per capita living space in Hong Kong is uh, 170 per square feet, which is, you know, 60% less than Singapore, which is uh, 270 square, uh, square feet per person. And I think the crust of it is uh, really we do not have enough land and uh, housing supply. I think uh, I, I, I'm more of a, you know, a, a market economist. Uh, my belief is that as long as you have uh, enough land and as long as you have enough supply, uh, we, we will be able to have a larger units. Uh, um, well, I, I do, while I do not oppose uh, having uh, a minimum standards uh, on units, but uh, I think um, the most effective way is to make sure we have enough supply. You know, having having law or administrative process uh, to limit the size would, would would not be as effective as uh, we provide enough uh, supply incentive. Because I just worry that some of these very small micro flats are actually building into our future a lot of people who are going to be. And, and psychological problems. Yeah, that is a uh, serious problem. And again, I, I, I do not oppose, you know, having any uh, regulations on that. But I just want to stress that uh, while well, if we if we are really having any regulations on that, we need to make sure we have enough land supplies. Because uh, let's put it another way: uh, if if we only have certain amount of supply uh, and we uh, limit the uh, the size of the units. The result is we are going to have less units, right? Because fewer the, units. Yeah, right. because, because the total GFA is fixed, and then you uh, forcing people to have a bigger units. So the the net result is going to have fewer units. So we, we have to be very careful about this. Uh, prof pro yeah. uh, Professor Ng, you, you talked about the need for yeah. careful planning uh, yes. in the Northern New Territory. Uh, uh, I mean, much of the New Territory is country park anyway, isn't it? So it's, so it's protected. Um, there are flat areas close to the border uh, which are more suitable for development. Um, uh, do you think there's, um, you know, it's a good idea to look at that area and its proximity to Shenzhen um, for development of uh, new housing? Well, I think, um, well, what I just said is not just about anti-North, it's actually the whole new territories. But for anti-North, yes, uh, it's very close to the city centre of uh, Shenzhen, and therefore uh, integrated planning is, is very important. Mm -hmm. But also, also, we need to also understand that uh, 
well, in a sense, uh, it's very glad that we do have uh, areas like my pole and other, you know, wetland areas, uh, you know, uh, in, in that part of the city and, and across the border, uh, which are very important to maintain, um, you know, the quality of life of residents living on both sides of the border. And therefore, you know, we do need uh, careful planning. Uh, but having, you know, uh, more sort of like um, um, well-planned, uh, more intense uh, kind of urban development that also over job opportunities uh, is obviously, I think that's the planning intention of the area right. anyway, uh, you know, uh, you- in, in government's planning studies before. I want also to jump into the flat size discussions. I think, we, 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 I think it's important for us to really look into the figures. Uh, in fact, if you really look into uh, the number of housing units in Hong Kong and the number of households, uh, we can see that we do have, you know, an extra of like almost like a quarter of a million uh, house, uh, house, housing units uh, more than the number of households. So in, in our city, the problem is really not the shortage of houses. It's really a question of distribution. And I think uh, minimum flat size is really important. Uh, you know, I think it's Mike who mentioned that uh, it, it's very important for our well-being. Space is very important. And, and I think the government really should uh, think about uh, establishing a minimum living, you know, space uh, per person in our units and, and stop, uh, you know, uh, the market to build such small size flats. I remember when I was in Singapore uh, talking to my former students in Singapore, they're talking about like stopping developers uh, to produce uh, shoebox apartments and their shoebox apartments, the size is 500 square feet. Mm. (laughs) That that would be a dream for many people here. (laughs) Yes. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, close to the border and the proximity to Shenzhen. Um, I, I just have a feeling that psychologically the government is kind of Victoria Harbour centric in, in its thinking and in its planning. And sort of the, when we talk about Tin Shui Wai, we say, oh, it's so far away. Uh, what we mean is it's so far away from Central. It's the same, the same with Tun Moon, it's so far away. Um, but of course, if your job and if the future jobs are going to be in the Greater Bay Area and in, in Shenzhen, uh, Northern New Charities is the place to be. Yeah, I, I think, I think you know, uh, we do have this, I'm sorry to say that, a colonial legacy. That is very, uh, you know, um, Hong Kong Island uh, and Kowloon-centered. Uh, and that, you know, I mean, but if you put that whole thing in historical perspective, um, the center of gravity in Hong Kong, uh, you know, used to be in the new territories. And that was not new territories at all. That's our city's old territory. That's where the important towns and markets were. So, uh, I mean, if we follow the historical trajectory, as you said, the center of gravity of activities are now in, in China and, and across the border. Uh, eventually, I mean, like it or not, uh, that force is going to, you know, transform the geographical configuration of the city. I mean, I mean, it's like that. It it was like that before, and it was kind of like changed a little bit. But now, I'm not saying that, you know, Hong Kong Island and Kowloon will not be important. I think it will 
be very important. But then, you know, as the city has to continue, we need to have better quality of life to uh, provide alternative uh, lifestyles and also uh, economic spaces for our future generations. Uh, we do have that, that piece of land which is so, you know, precious. And we have not really used it, uh, you know, well enough. So I think it's really time for us as a city to really think about the future. How about uh, that? And, and uh, do, a, yeah. do, do a good job. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Vera Yoon, the current uh, perception of uh, centre of gravity is a colonial legacy. Well, we have been, it's not we, but I mean, the society has been discussing about moving the government headquarters to the, to the northern land in Hong Kong for years because it was so congested and crowded. Now, the problem is all the lobbies, you know, the bankers, the land developers, they all work in central. And then if you do that, then they will have to travel a long way to, you know, the London and to lobby um, uh, to do their job. And I think the senior government officials, they enjoy being in Central and at Moti and feel that they are like quite senior in the city. So I think it's their problem. We have asked them to move like 10 years ago to, you know, Tin Wai. So there will be a lot of jobs created in Tin Wai and people will not be traveling all from different parts of city towards the center um, in, in the Victoria Harbor. So it would alleviate the congestion problem. It's just they didn't want to move. So I think it would be good to develop, you know, in the London area. And also it should relieve um, the high rent prices in the city. Because nowadays we have many subdivided units. Um, many of the young people who work in Hong Kong Island, they actually rent subdivided unit in Hong Kong Island and then they went back home during the weekend. It's like, you know, dormitory. So if you do that, um, it would actually help um, alleviate um, the high rents and the subdevelopment unit problem in the city centre. Mm. And of course, Hong Kong, you and Pok Fulam. <laughs> um, uh, I think around university area, the rent has always been high yeah. because of yeah. the students' yeah. um, population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do we need... We have got quite a lot of universities in the new territory. We do, we do, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we, Should be we, fair, we, we UST. UST and... Beautiful and, campus. And, yeah, yeah, lovely. OK, well, we've got to take a short break um, for the news. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, we're talking about land supply. Uh, do feel free to uh, get in touch with us. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 uh, Um Quick look at the weather. Sunny periods today, top temperature around 31 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. A moderate to fresh easterly winds. The outlook, sunny periods in the next couple of days, weather will become unsettled in the latter part of the week. Currently 29 degrees, humidity 76%. Independence forces. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we are talking about the perennial and pressing topic of land supply, which is expected to be a, a major factor of the Chief Executive's uh, policy address on Wednesday. 
Um, just before we uh, return to our guests, um, have uh, a message here from uh, Henry on our Facebook page. It says, uh, Hong Kong's uh, poor housing situation is appalling. In the visit uh, by the liaison office, a, a cage home person said he still could not get a public housing after having waited for 12 years. The government must stop cosmeticising the waiting time to three to seven years. Instead, they should be honest and say applicants could wait 15 years or more. Any measures to increase housing supply are just good. Sometimes I wonder how come uh, McElhose, that's a reference to the former governor, Sir Murray McElhose, could be remembered for his housing scheme, but SAR officials are so lousy in this critical area. In my childhood days, I lived with my parents, my brother and sister, five in total, in a 100-square-foot room, no toilet, kitchen. I knew what life in partition flat means, but government officials are just too aloof and detached from reality. Their visits to subsidised flats seem to be shows only. Um, well, that's the uh, experience and recollections of uh, Henry uh, from years ago. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, Ryan Yip, who's uh, Head of Land and Housing Research at the R Hong Kong Foundation, uh, Vera Yoon, who's uh, a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, on the line now, uh, we have uh, Lao Chung Kong, who's Managing Director for Valuation and Advisory Services in Asia of uh, Colliers. Um, uh, Mr Lau, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Yeah. So uh, we were talking before the break about the development potential of the Northern New Territories. Um, is that where you would expect it to be in the future? I think so. I mean, um, the New Territories have still uh, got a lot of land over there uh, and the development potential would really depends on the town planning and the provision of infrastructure by the government. Right. Um, and do you see uh, any big surge of uh, transportation links, mm. more rail In links, more highways? Mm. Oh, I think this is, uh, I mean, the most important or crucial factor to provide the, um, infrastructure in the area in order to support the future development. But um, the railway development from research, detailed planning up to construction and the uh, actual, I mean, usage of the same would take a very long time. Right. And that's mm. why the early start of that would, would be useful for Hong Kong. Mm. What about this proposal to lower the threshold for uh, acquiring existing sites and multiple ownership? Uh, it used to be 90%, didn't it? And then I think it's down to 80 now, and people are talking of 70 or 75, is that a way to go? Yeah, for, for these sort of what we call the compulsory sale for redevelopment um, cases um, or under the ordinance, we have seen, I mean, I would say starting from 20 odd years ago, um, when the law was first introduced, um, it had helped to, I would say, um, unify the ownership of many lots or land in the urban area. Um, which or, or originally were of strata origin, and that helped a bit for the urban renewal in Hong Kong. But after, I would say, I mean, 10, 10 15 years, then these sort of, I mean, um, plots or land have basically been, um, we developed most of them if, according to the sub 90% rule. And that's why the development community asked for relaxation um, for those residential um, 
buildings which are more than 50 years ago, then I mean that will be a relaxation down to 80% of the ownership. Then you can apply. What we have seen in the last, I mean, 10 years, a lot of uh, plots have now been, I mean, assembled and they've been changed from old residential buildings to new buildings that have helped to elevate the um, standard of living for many people and those people who have been so-called um, displaced, I mean, uh, through the redevelopment process, they have got quite a um, good amount of, I mean, compensation or purchase price for their original old units that they can find new homes. So I would say this is basically a win-win situation. With the further relaxation, say down to 75% or 70% for the trigger of the of the um, sale, this would encourage more developers to try to move into this area. And that possibly, I mean, likely in the next few years, we'll, we'll be able to see more activities in this area. Yeah. Are the compensation terms for the existing owners fair? I, I would say this has, I mean, produced very good results because the compensation terms or the acquisition price will reflect two elements. First of all, um, the, the um, owners, the original owners, they need to be so-called tempted to sell their units first. And then only after the developer have been able to gather, say, 80% right now right. of the units, then they can start the application process. For the application process, I mean, for the land tribunal to determine the compensation or the price to be allocated to the affected um, minority owners, they will make use of the redevelopment value of the plot. That means, I mean, the original, I mean, minority owners or individual owners, they will be able to share the upside of the project. As, as you uh, mentioned uh, just now, any sort of uh, uh, greenfield development is probably going to involve infrastructure development as well. All this takes a long time. Um, uh, we know, of course, about the the East Lantau Metropolis or the Lantau Tomorrow Vision Project now, which is, I think, eventually going to supposedly provide about 800,000 units or something. Um, but that will be a number of years uh, in the planning and in the construction and uh, a long way down the road. Um, Given the, the pressing need for better housing, um, better public housing and more private housing, um, what is the fastest way uh, for the uh, administration to go to improve the situation? Yeah, um, I think this is a very good question because if you look at the Meta um, to Moral Vision, it's still a long way to go because, I mean, are, um, the government is just, I mean, entering into a detailed, I mean, research stage or planning stage for the infrastructure. The reclamation right. have not started yet. And the earliest what, date, I think, Michael Wong was talking about was 2027 or something for the first, yeah. <laughs> for the first piece I, of earth to go into the sea? Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, right now, the, the planning will still need another three to four years to go. And whether there, there will be an obstacle in the, in, in, in the process, like, for example, the, um, whether the outright zoning plan would, met with any, would meet with any, I mean, um, objection, um, whether the financials would um, would be able to get the approval from the logical is yet to be seen. But what is the, I would say, the shortest way to to gain more public residential units would be through the cooperation or the assistance, I mean, given by the government for the development of the new territories land. A lot of areas in the new territories have been sown under the outright zoning plan or the town planning regime for residential purpose, and many of them are of extremely low part ratio. 
if we have been able to assist these originally planned area for development into residential use, and at the same time to increase the pot ratio, say from for, for example from 0.4 up to say three, then you will be having a lot of new supply will be coming from that uh, regime. Right. But but that would require the the active. Um, participation of the government in terms of the town planning process, the provision of the roads in particular, and also the drainage and sewage services, which the developer alone cannot be dealing with them because many of these services would need to sit on, I mean, government land. Vera Yoon, so it requires better cooperation between uh, the government and private developers? Yeah, because, I mean, the government would be able to extract the land PBM through the um, lease modification or land exchange process. Mm-hmm. These of PBM would be able to pay for the, I mean, um, construction of roads or, or even for the construction right. of the yeah. M Chow station mm-hmm. and the railway, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, what about village housing? Is large areas still reserved for village housing? I think um, uh, uh, w- when we talk about village housings, uh, this problem actually has two uh, fronts. What, one is those buildings that are already exist, uh, well, these are you know historical problems. These are sunk cost. Another another half of it is uh, whether we have a lot of lands that are reserved for building future uh, village housings. Uh, for from our research, we we found out that the answer the answer seems to be negative. Well, there 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 is not really a lot of land that is uh, reserved for future village housing. So we. Uh, so we really need to look at the existing you know, village housing, so whether these uh, existing village housings can be uh, you know, redeveloped you know, into, right. into, into you know, higher-rise buildings, such that you know, um, m- m- some of the lands can be, received, uh, can be released for other developments. Right. I mean, just going back to what Mr Lau just said, um, it, we, it, the land is there, it's serviced land already, so, in a sense, part of the lead time can be swallowed. You, uh, but you just use the existing road or maybe make it a bit wider. But um, you, other cities don't have villages in the middle of them. Why, why, do we, why do we still have villages in the middle of our city? Well, I think these are, you know, historical uh, issues. You know, uh, you know the, the so-called thing rights are uh, protected by the basic law so uh, you know we, we, we so 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 they are here for a reason so what we are thinking about is you know whether you can use these lands more efficiently you know, not only uh, by not only building three three stories you know maybe you know 20 30 stories uh, such that you know you you can build more of these houses uh, using less of the lands uh, that i think that is uh, one way that we can consider Mm. Vera Yoon, uh, where do you think the administration may be looking in terms to just just speeding up the whole process of providing more land and uh, more housing? Well, there has been a big problem of going through all the bureaucratic procedures in order to have land developed. I mean, many of the land development proposals have been turned down by the town planning board, and the town planning board actually... Um, take reference, uh, you know, with you know the whole government town planning regulations and all these stuff. And then an economist, um, Edward Glaser, he has studied 
um, you know, land problem of many cosmopolitan in Tokyo, you know, in, in the United States and find that, you know, regulation tax is actually high. And when you make it difficult to develop land, then you have less supply and then people are paying more for their houses. So I think um, the government is going to the correct direction of um, actually trying to um, bring down all these um, difficult bureaucracies and these procedures and try to speed up the whole process. Um, but talking about town planning, I think Professor um, um, you know, said, you know, then often new territories have to be um, carefully planned. But I think for the country part, that part is beautiful. Um, but then we have many brownfield sites that they were quite chaotic. I mean, if you um, go hiking, you can smell the feces of the pigs. And then, you know, some brownfield sites are used as car parks and electronic mm. waste. Um, yeah. I mean, treatment center and they even import this kind of waste internationally and try to treat it in Hong Kong brownfield site. I mean, I mean, the whole thing is chaotic. And for these small houses, the villages, I mean, when they develop, they, they just, um, it's low gross floor area. And then some of them use flood tanks, which is very unhygienic. So I think that whole thing have to be planted again. And I mean, even development doesn't mean it would be bad because for Singapore, you see, it's very well developed. It's a very, very small country, but it's called Garden City because things are so well planted and people find it, you know, um, comfortable living there. So development doesn't mean it would become urban concrete and, you know, high-rising buildings and um, that people would not find um, pleasure to live in. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, sure. I mean, this issue of brownfield sites, it, it comes up every time, doesn't it? I mean, and you're quite right. You go out to the new territories, um, you know, these areas are used for storing containers. And uh, like, like you say, it all appears, um, you know, chaotic and disorganized. And why, I mean, why is it so difficult for uh, the uh, this issue of brownfield sites uh, to be tackled um, 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 you know w w you know why can't more brownfield sites be resumed uh, for development for housing I mean that's that's what uh, most normal people would ask <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Lao Chung Kong yeah perhaps I mean I provide uh, an observation here yeah. first of all um, because um, a lot of these are brownfield operations. They have, I mean, um, serving Hong Kong very well in terms of no matter you, you, you see it as storage, um, logistic spaces, and even workshop. Um, the government have not been selling, I mean, industrial land for a long time. I mean, um, since uh, I would say the, the late 90s. And the um, operators or the business needs to find space to accommodate. Um, the, the growth of their space and they want to find cheaper I mean, um, solutions. That means, I mean, just looking at war land and then build certain shed over there. And this is how the, I mean, bank operation have come about. Um, again, this all comes down to the shortage of land originally and the multi-story buildings would not be suitable for many of these operations if they are operating, for example, for the construction industry. Um, they need to house their machinery, for the car repairing or storage buildings, they, they want to be on the on, on, on the ground. What we have seen here is that part the government have already announced that part of the operation, I mean, they want to relocate or they need to serve or this industry um, will still um, serve Hong Kong. 
and some of the operation would need to be so-called, I mean, extinguished. For example, those sort of, I mean, polluting, I mean, usage, and those usage would not be allowed by the um, existing regulation or the China regulations anymore. But where do we house them? And for the Hong Shui Kyu and um, New Development Area, this is an area that the government wants to build, I mean, certain multi-story buildings to accommodate some of these sort of operations. This, this study is still ongoing, and um, whether um, the, the existing business would like to move into this multi-story building or be able to afford the rental and the occupation cost is yet to be seen. Yeah. Right, because there's, so there's an economic angle here, the people's livelihood. It, if you take away that uh, their livelihood, then you've, you've created a poverty problem. Yeah, I think it's... N- it's not just the, like, um, the likelihood of, of these of employee or business. I mean, um, it's one, this is only one aspect. Right. The other aspect is they are actually serving Hong Kong right now. If you so-called break away, no, you, you call, no matter you call it a supply chain or certain, I mean, operation, this, this will cause a disruption to, to, to the overall, I mean, um, economics of Hong Kong. Okay, Uh, a couple of emails from listeners here. Uh, James writes, uh, good morning, for once I agree with Mike, size matters, and there has been plenty of research on the impact on mental health to uh, quality of life. Uh, I've never believed uh, lack of land is the issue, lack of will, how many unused industrial districts could be either converted or demolished to create housing. Hong Kong suffers more from lack of policy vision as much as lack of housing. And John writes, uh, Dear Backchat, uh, on the broader subject of overall land supply, it is high time for the government to redevelop Hong Kong's ports for residential usage. Take uh, the Kwai Chung Container Port as an example. Container throughput at Hong Kong's ports continues to decline every year as they lose market share to southern Chinese ports, notably Yantian. The Sino-US trade war simply accelerated the structural slump for the industry. It's high time for the government to discuss with Hutchinson and Wharf, the two dominant Hong Kong port operators, to consider redeveloping parts of Kwai Chung Port for residential use. The site is massive, the equivalent of several Taiku Shings, which houses almost 13,000 apartments. Given that Hutch and Wharf also dominate the southern Chinese ports market, I would imagine they would be receptive to the idea. A win-win situation for Hong Kong's land supply shortage. In in addition, the government should force the developers to redevelop their huge parcels of farmland within a certain number of years or risk losing the land. That from John. Um, OK, uh, uh, um, Ryan Ip, how about that idea of relocating uh, the container port? I think that is also a uh, logical uh, proposition as well because uh, if you look at the location of our quality uh, container port is actually uh, very centrally located. You know, it has well uh, transport transport uh, transport infrastructure. It is linked by railway, you know, uh, and also roads. And its size is also huge as well. Uh, the the size of the port itself is around. 300 hectares, but if you also take into account the surrounding industrial lands, you know, the lands for fuel tanks, the, the, the lands for shipyards, etc., uh, it uh, almost adds up to around 800 hectares of land. And 800 hectares is 
a very large piece of land. When we talk about Hong Sui Kiu, uh, in new territories, it is only 400 hectares, right? Mm. So uh, you have uh, two times the size of Hong Sui Kiu in an area that is centrally located in Hong Kong. So it, I think it's a very logical proposition to, you know, to, to consider whether we should convert it for uh, you know, residential and commercial purpose. Sh- should we lose them all together or move them somewhere else? Well, that is a question. Um, uh, that is a question for debate. Uh, for us, we think we should, uh, uh, we should keep the container ports in Hong Kong because uh, uh, it, is, it, it supports a lot of uh, employment in Hong Kong and a lot of them are sort of the uh, lower skilled labor, you know, uh, and, and that, and, and and for the low, uh, low income people, and that is, that is a very important em, uh, employment source. Uh, so uh, we uh, back in 2017, we sort of came out with a proposal to relocate it to uh, Changchow South, another uh, artificial island, and that is similar to what uh, the Singapore is doing because the Singapore is also moving their container ports also in their urban areas to a outlying islands uh, and hopefully uh, they, uh, have, have the rooms to, you know... It, but where do the goods come mm. from? Uh, I think we still have a fair share amount of uh, transshipment, uh, although right. uh, we are losing out in terms of uh, the rankings, but in the absolute numbers, in the absolute numbers of throughputs, we still have a very significant right. uh, amount of goods. But, but the basic goods and transshipment and so on, surely they're coming from the mainland, mostly. Yeah. Why, why would you move the container port further to the south? I think uh, well, uh, that is one of the locations uh, because right. uh, it is uh, near the uh, uh, sea channels and it is, and it also have a uh, you know sort of a a uh, deeper waters, which is right. uh, good for uh, larger vessels. And I think it is one of the locations that we can we can consider. And there is another uh, options, and another option that is brought by other people, which is to you know have uh, uh, have a combined container ports of GBA. So you combine the ports of Hong Kong, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou, and hopefully. Or you can locate in Changchow South, or you can also locate in uh, what, uh, outside Hong Kong waters to sort of, you know, to have a, a consolidated port. I was worried that you'd be bringing these uh, containers on Hong Kong roads right the way through uh, the SAR, rather than shipping them out from near where they're manufactured. Well, that well, uh, that is why uh, some people have proposed to be having a, con- a consolidated ports of GBAs. And that consolidated port may be outside Hong Kong waters, and that may be a, you know, a, a reasonable uh, proposition as well. OK, uh, uh, Vera Yoon, would you go along with that, um, move the container part and port and develop Kwai Chung? Well, it would provide pretty good land there because it's a sea wheel and when it's a sea wheel then it is expensive land right Um, for the container port yeah there are many proposals to relocate it but if you do an integrated port I mean I do not object it if it's more efficient it's just that um, this logistics component contribute like uh, you know 20% of Hong Kong GDP and a lot of employment then 
how do you account for that part of GDP? Probably Hong Kong GDP would be, you know, part of it will be redistributed to the integrated part, and and you, we don't know where it should be accounted for. But if we're being integrated in the Greater Bay Area anyway, so it doesn't matter. Like we we count as a whole in the Greater Bay Area, right? Mm, mm, okay, um, uh, Lao Chun Kong, do you have thoughts on that? Um, my concern is the the timing. Mm. Because, I mean, again, you need to spend a lot of time in doing the research, considering the impact, whether you would like to do the reclamation, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, on the south side of Changchang, and how the connection network, I mean, like the bridges, Tanglo, it would be connected to the, the main, I mean, Hong Kong area. So these issues, again, I mean, have been considered when the, when the government set up the task force on land supply, and I'm a, a, I was a member of that. And because it is just a long-term solution. That's why I think, I mean, we should spend more time, I mean, on doing the research right now. That means to commence the research rather than wait another 10, 20 years to consider that, yeah. Mm. Would you move them to the west? People have talked about Taiyo or Tun Moon. I, I think the, the Longgutan area or the Tun Moon area, they have um, many industrial uses there already. And the government have already got some plans right now for the sort of revitalization of that or move some more logistic space over there. Um, and, and we don't have, I would say, relocation sites for the um, heavy industries over there. We definitely need to create more land area, I mean, somewhere in order to um, move those sort of less desirable uses in the uh, main urban area to those sort of re more remote areas. So that we would have more land for us I mean, to make use of, no matter you for residential, commercial, or even for recreational use, we, we need that. Right. And as you pointed out before, many of those activities on brownfield sites are useful. I mean, we're, yes. we're all saying that, that that could be moved or that should be moved. But who's going to repair my car and where? <laughs> yeah, I think this car repairing issue... Um, the government have really thought about that, um, and that Hong Sui Kyu is um, the home, I mean, for some of these sort of activities. If you look at the whole car repairing industry, many of them are still, I mean, um, using uh, residential space, ground floor residential space in the urban area, and that have actually constituted um, an environmental hazard for the nearby residents. Yeah. Right. But again, we need convenience because you want to, your car to be repair, for example, within 10 minutes drive or 10 minutes walk. Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us on this morning's programme. That was Lao Chong Kong there, Managing Director for Valuation and Advisory Services at, uh, in Asia for Colliers. Um, thanks also very much to uh, Ryan Yip, uh, Head of Land and Housing Research at the Arc Hong Kong Foundation, and to Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And before the break, we heard from Professor Ngmi Kam, Director of the Urban Studies Programme at the Chinese University. Um, thank you to our guests. Thank you to our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Mike. I have to say, I've been talking about this policy for 50 years. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it for... More time to come. OK, um, a quick look at the weather uh, before we go to the new summary and morning brew. Um, it's going to be uh, sunny periods today, top temperature around, uh, around 31 degrees, uh, moderate to fresh easterly winds. The outlook, sunny periods uh, in the next couple of days, the weather becoming unsettled in the latter part of this week. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 76%. Mm -hmm.
The building minor works regulation has been amended. Owners may now retain certain unauthorized minor amenity features, such as trellises, retractable awnings, and security fences for use once proven safe under the validation scheme of the minor works control system. For more details, browse the building's department website at bd.gov.hk or download the Minor Works mobile application. The news summary with Vicky Wong. A political commentator says he expects Chief Executive Carrie Lam to focus on the development of new towns in her upcoming policy address. It's being reported that the US Trade Representative Catherine Tai will announce that China isn't complying with the so-called Phase 1 trade deal reached under the former Trump administration. And a pharmacist association says a new drug for COVID can help relieve burden on hospitals if Hong Kong sees another outbreak of infections. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. To our oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, this is not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to a brand new week here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. We're going to hit that rugby field at 10.10. Start the week in the traditional way, of course, with Robbie McRobbie's weekly local and international blurb. And after that, we're off to New York to catch up with Tracy Kwan, who today wants to get stuck into the work of Keith Haring, which is brilliant. After 11 today, a short trip to the opera, Canadian maestro Yves Abel, who's the boss of the San Diego Opera, he is here already. He's going to be conducting Opera Hong Kong's upcoming production of Puccini's masterpiece, Madame Butterfly. It's going to feature soloists from Slovenia National Theatre Maribor and, of course, the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. And today, he's going to tell you all about it. This is Jeff Lynne. It's called One Step at a Time. Here. On Radio 3.